Section 11 of Famous Adventures and Prison Escapes of the Civil War by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 11, Colonel Rose's Tunnel at Libby Prison, Part 2. Hamilton managed slightly to increase the size of the hole and provide against a repetition of the accident just narrated, and all being now ready, the two men entered eagerly upon the work before them. They appropriated one of the wooden spittoons of the prison, and to each side attached a piece of clothesline which they had been permitted to have to dry clothes on. Several bits of candle and the larger of the two chisels were also taken to the operating cellar. They kept this secret well, and worked alone for many nights. In fact, they would have so continued, but they found that after digging about four feet their candle would go out in the vitiated air rose did the digging and hamilton fanned air into him with his hat even then he had to emerge into the cellar every few minutes to breathe rose would dig but needed the light and air and hamilton could not fan and drag out and deposit the excavated earth and meantime keep a lookout in fact it was demonstrated that there was slim chance of succeeding without more assistance and it was decided to organize a party large enough for effective work by reliefs as a preliminary step and to afford the means of more rapid communication with the cellar from the fireplace opening the long rope obtained from colonel white was formed by hamilton into a rope ladder with convenient wooden rungs this alteration considerably increased its bulk and added to rose's difficulty in concealing it from curious eyes he now made a careful selection of thirteen men besides himself and hamilton and bound them by a solemn oath to secrecy and strict obedience to form this party as he wanted it required some diplomacy as it was known that the confederates had on more than one occasion sent cunning spies into libby disguised as union prisoners for the detection of any contemplated plan of escape unfortunately the complete list of the names of the party now formed has not been preserved but among the party besides rose and hamilton were captain john sterling thirtieth indiana captain john lucas fifth kentucky cavalry captain isaac n johnson sixth kentucky cavalry and lieutenant f f bennett eighteenth regulars the party being now formed were taken to rat hell and their several duties explained to them by rose who was invested with full authority over the work in hand work was begun in rear of the little kitchen room previously abandoned at the southeast corner of the cellar to systematize the labor the party was divided into squads of five each which gave the men one night on duty and two off rose assigning each man to the branch of work in which experiments proved him the most proficient he was himself by long odds the best digger of the party while hamilton had no equal for ingenious mechanical skill in contriving helpful little devices to overcome or lessen the difficulties that beset almost every step of the party's progress the first plan was to dig down alongside the east wall and under it until it was passed then turn southward and make for the large street sewer next the canal and into which rose had before noticed workmen descending 
this sewer was a large one believed to be fully six feet high and if it could be gained there could be little doubt that an adjacent opening to the canal would be found to the eastward it was very soon revealed however that the lower side of libby was built upon ponderous timbers below which they could not hope to penetrate with their meagre stock of tools such at least was the opinion of nearly all the party rose nevertheless determined that the effort should be made and they were soon at work with old penknives and case knives hacked into saws after infinite labor they at length cut through the great logs only to be met by an unforeseen and still more formidable barrier their tunnel in fact had penetrated below the level of the canal water began to filter in feebly at first but at last it broke in with a rush that came near drowning rose who barely had time to make his escape this opening was therefore plugged up and to do this rapidly and leave no dangerous traces put the party to their wits end an attempt was next made to dig into a small sewer that ran from the southeast corner of the prison into the main sewer after a number of nights of hard labor this opening was extended to a point below a brick furnace in which were encased several cauldrons the weight of this furnace caused a cave-in near the sentinel's path outside the prison wall next day a group of officers were seen eyeing the break curiously rose listening at a window above heard the words rats repeated by them several times and took comfort the next day he entered the cellar alone feeling that if the suspicions of the confederates were really awakened a trap would be set for him in rat hell and determined if such were really the case that he would be the only victim caught he therefore entered the little partitioned corner room with some anxiety but there was no visible evidence of a visit by the guards and his spirits again rose the party now reassembled and an effort was made to get into the small sewer that ran from the cook-room to the big sewer which rose was so eager to reach but soon it was discovered to the utter dismay of the weary party that this wood-lined sewer was too small to let a man through it still it was hoped by rose that by removing the plank with which it was lined the passage could be made the spirits of the party were by this time considerably dashed by their repeated failures and sickening work but the undaunted rose aided by hamilton persuaded the men to another effort and soon the knives and toy saws were at work again with vigour the work went on so swimmingly that it was confidently believed that an entrance to the main sewer would be gained on the night of january twenty sixth eighteen sixty four on the night of the twenty fifth two men had been left down in rat hell to cover any remaining traces of a tunnel and when night came again it was expected that all would be ready for the escape between eight and nine o'clock in the meantime the two men were to enter and make careful examination of the main sewer and its adjacent outlets the party which was now in readiness for its march to the federal camps waited tidings from these two men all next day in tormenting anxiety and the weary hours went by on leaden wings at last the sickening word came that the planks yet to be removed before they could enter the main sewer were of seasoned oak hard as bone and three inches thick 
their feeble tools were now worn out or broken they could no longer get air to work or keep a light in the horrible pit which was reeking with cold mud in short any attempt at further progress with the utensils at hand was foolish most of the party were now really ill from the foul stench in which they had lived so long the visions of liberty that had first lured them to desperate efforts under the inspiration of rose and hamilton had at last faded and one by one they lost heart and hope and frankly told colonel rose that they could do no more the party was therefore disbanded and the yet sanguine leader with hamilton for his sole helper continued the work alone up to this time thirty-nine nights had been spent in the work of excavation the two men now made a careful examination of the northeast corner of the cellar at which point the earth's surface outside the prison wall being eight or nine feet higher than at the canal or south side afforded a better place to dig than the latter being free from water and with clay top enough to support itself the unfavorable feature of this point was that the only possible terminus of a tunnel was a yard between the buildings beyond the vacant lot on the east of liberty another objection was that even when the tunnel should be made to that point the exit of any escaping party must be made through an arched wagon-way under the building that faced the street on the canal side and every man must emerge on the sidewalk in sight of the sentinel on the south side of the prison the intervening space being in the full glare of the gas-lamp it was carefully noted however by rose long before this that the west end of the beat of the nearest sentinel was between fifty and sixty feet from the point of egress and it was concluded that by walking away at the moment the sentinel commenced his pace westward one would be far enough into the shadow to make it improbable that the color of his clothing could be made out by the sentinel when he faced about to return toward the eastern end of his beat which terminated ten to fifteen feet east of the prison wall it was further considered that as these sentinels had for their special duty the guarding of the prison they would not be eager to burden themselves with the duty of molesting persons seen in the vicinity outside of their jurisdiction provided of course that the retreating forms many of which they must certainly see were not recognized as yankees all others they might properly leave for the challenge and usual examination of the provost guard who patrolled the streets of richmond the wall of that east cellar had to be broken in three places before a place was found where the earth was firm enough to support a tunnel the two men worked on with stubborn patience but their progress was painfully slow rose dug assiduously and hamilton alternately fanned air to his comrade and dragged out and hid the excavated dirt but the old difficulty confronted them the candle would not burn the air could not be fanned fast enough with a hat and the dirt hidden without better contrivances or additional help rose now reassembled the party and selected from them a number who were willing to renew the attempt against the east wall stood a series of stone fenders abutting inward and these being at uniform intervals of about twenty feet cast deep shadows that fell toward the prison front in one of these dark recesses the wall was pierced well up toward the carry street end 
the earth here was very densely compressed sand that offered a strong resistance to the broad-bladed chisel which was their only effective implement and it was clear that a long turn of hard work must be done to penetrate under the fifty-foot lot to the objective point the lower part of the tunnel was about six inches above the level of the cellar floor and its top about two and a half feet absolute accuracy was of course impossible either in giving the whole a perfectly horizontal direction or in preserving uniform dimensions but a fair level was preserved and the average diameter of the tunnel was a little over two feet usually one man would dig and fill the spittoon with earth upon the signal of a gentle pull an assistant would drag the load into the cellar by the clothesline fastened to each side of this box and then hide it under the straw a third constantly fanned air into the tunnel with a rubber blanket stretched across a frame the invention of the ingenious hamilton a fourth would give occasional relief to the last two while a fifth would keep a lookout the danger of discovery was continual for the guards were under instructions from the prison commandant to make occasional visits to every accessible part of the building so that it was not unusual for a sergeant and several men to enter the south door of rat hell in the daytime while the diggers were at labor in the dark north end during these visits the digger would watch the intruders with his head sticking out of the tunnel while the others would crouch behind the low stone fenders or crawl quickly under the straw this however was so uninviting a place that the confederates made this visit as brief as a nominal compliance with their orders permitted and they did not often venture into the dark north end the work was fearfully monotonous and the more so because absolute silence was commanded the men moving about mutely in the dark the darkness caused them frequently to become bewildered and lost and as rose could not call out for them he had often to hunt all over the big dungeon to gather them up and pilot them to their places the difficulty of forcing air to the digger whose body nearly filled the tunnel increased as the hole was extended and compelled the operator to back often into the cellar for air and for air that was itself foul enough to sicken a strong man but they were no longer harassed with the water and timbers that had impeded their progress at the south end moreover experience was daily making each man more proficient in the work rose urged them on with cheery enthusiasm and their hopes rose high for already they had penetrated beyond the sentinel's beat and were nearing the goal the party off duty kept a cautious lookout from the upper east windows for any indication of suspicion on the part of the confederates in this extreme caution was necessary both to avert the curiosity of prisoners in those east rooms and to keep out of the range of bullets from the guards who were under a standing order to fire at a head if seen at a window or at a hand if placed on the bars that secured them a sentinel's bullet one day cut a hole in the ear of lieutenant hammond another officer was wounded in the face by a bullet which fortunately first splintered against one of the window bars and a captain of an ohio regiment was shot through the head and instantly killed while reading a newspaper he was violating no rule whatever and when shot was from eight to ten feet inside the window through which the bullet came 
this was a wholly unprovoked and wanton murder the cowardly miscreant had fired the shot while he was off duty and from the north sidewalk of carey street the guards home guards they were used in fact to gun for prisoners head from their posts below pretty much after the fashion of boys after squirrels and the whiz of a bullet through the windows became too common an occurrence to occasion remark unless some one was shot under a standing rule the twelve hundred prisoners were counted twice each day the first count being made about nine in the morning and the last about four in the afternoon this duty was habitually done by the clerk of the prison e w ross a civilian employed by the commandant he was christened little ross by the prisoners because of his diminutive size ross was generally attended by either dick turner adjutant latouche or sergeant george stansel of the eighteenth georgia with a small guard to keep the prisoners in four closed rank during the count the commandant of the prison major thomas p turner no relative of dick's seldom came upstairs to conceal the absence of the five men who were daily at work at the tunnel their comrades of the party off digging duty resorted under rosa's supervision to a device of repeating this scheme which was of vital importance to hoodwink the confederates and avert mischievous curiosity among the uninformed prisoners was a hazardous business that severely taxed the ingenuity and strained the nerve of the leader and his coadjutors the manner of the fraud varied with circumstances but in general it was worked by five of rose's men after being counted at or near the head of the line stooping down and running toward the foot of the ranks where a few moments later they were counted a second time thus making ross's book balance the whole five however could not always do this undiscovered and perhaps but three of the number could repeat these occasional mishaps threatened to dethrone the reason of the puzzled clerk but in the next count the repeaters would succeed in their game and for the time all went well until one day some of the prisoners took it into their heads just for the fun of the thing to imitate the repeaters unconscious of the curses that the party were mentally hurling at them the meddlers sole purpose was to make little ross mad in this they certainly met with signal success for the reason of the mystified clerk seemed to totter as he repeated the count over and over in the hope of finding out how one careful count would show that three prisoners were missing and the next an excess of fifteen finally ross lashed into uncontrollable fury by the sarcastic remarks of his employers and the heartless merriment of the grinning yanks before him poured forth his goaded soul as follows now gentlemen look here i can count a hundred as good as any blank man in this year town but i'll be blank blanked if i can count a hundred of you blanked yankees now gentlemen there's one thing show there's eight or ten of yons yer that ain't yer this extraordinary accusation brought down the house and the confederate officers and guards and finally ross himself were caught by the resistless contagion of laughter that shook the rafters of libby 
the officials somehow found a balance that day on the books and the danger was for this once over to the infinite relief of rose and his anxious comrades but the confederates appeared dissatisfied with something and came upstairs next morning with more officers and with double the usual number of guards and some of these were now stationed about the room so as to make it next to impossible to work the repeating device successfully on this day for some reason there were but two men in the cellar and these were major b b macdonald and captain i n johnson the count began as usual and despite the guard in rear two of the party attempted the repeating device by forcing their way through the centre of the ranks toward the left but the fun of the thing had now worn out with the unsuspecting meddlers who resisted the passage of the two men this drew the attention of the confederate officers and the repeaters were threatened with punishment the result was inevitable the count showed two missing it was carefully repeated with the same result to the dismay of rose and his little band the prison register was now brought upstairs and a long tedious roll-call by name was endured each man passing through a narrow door as his name was called and between a line of guards no stratagem that rose could now invent could avert the discovery by the confederates that macdonald and johnson had disappeared and the mystery of their departure would be almost certain to cause an inquiry and investigation that would put their plot in peril and probably reveal it at last the jays were reached and the name i n johnson was lustily shouted and repeated with no response the roll-call proceeded until the name of b b macdonald was reached to the increasing amazement of everybody but the conspirators he also had vanished a careful note was taken of these two names by the confederates and a thousand tongues were now busy with the names of the missing men and their singular disappearance the conspirators were in a tight place and must choose between two things one was for the men in the cellar to return that night and face the confederates with the most plausible explanation of their absence that they could invent and the other alternative was the revolting one of remaining in their horrible abode until the completion of the tunnel when night came the fireplace was opened and the unlucky pair were informed of the situation of affairs and asked to choose between the alternatives presented macdonald decided to return and face the music but johnson doubtful if the confederates would be hoodwinked by any explanation voted to remain where he was and wait for the finish of the tunnel as was anticipated macdonald's return awakened almost as much curiosity among the inhabitants of libby as his disappearance and he was soon called to account by the confederates he told them he had fallen asleep in an out-of-the-way place in the upper west room where the guards must have overlooked him during the roll-call of the day before macdonald was not further molested the garrulous busybodies who were rose's chief dread told the confederate officials that they had certainly slept near johnson the night before the day he was missed lieutenant j c fislar of the working party who also slept next to johnson boldly declared this a case of mistaken identity and confidently expressed his belief to both confederates and federals who gathered around him that johnson had escaped and was by this time no doubt safe in the union lines to this he added the positive statement that johnson had not been in his accustomed sleeping place for a good many nights 
the busybodies who had indeed told the truth looked at the speaker in speechless amazement but reiterated their statements others of the conspirators however took fislar's bold cue and stoutly corroborated him johnson was of course nightly fed by his companions and gave them such assistance as he could at the work but it soon became apparent that a man could not long exist in such a pestilential atmosphere no tongue can tell how long were the days and nights the poor fellow passed among the squealing rats enduring the sickening air the deathly chill the horrible interminable darkness one day out of three was an ordeal for the workers who at least had a rest of two days afterward as a desperate measure of relief it was arranged with utmost caution that late each night johnson should come upstairs when all was dark and the prison in slumber and sleep among the prisoners until just before the time for closing the fireplace opening about four o'clock each morning as he spoke to no one and the room was dark his presence was never known even to those who lay next to him and indeed he listened to many earnest conversations between his neighbors regarding his wonderful disappearance as a matter of course the incidents above narrated made day work on the tunnel too hazardous to be indulged in on account of the increased difficulty of accounting for absentees but the party continued the night work with unabated industry when the opening had been extended nearly across the lot some of the party believed they had entered under the yard which was the intended terminus and one night when macdonald was the digger so confident was he that the desired distance had been made that he turned his direction upward and soon broke through to the surface a glance showed him his nearly fatal blunder against which indeed he had been earnestly warned by rose who from the first had carefully estimated the intervening distance between the east wall of libby and the terminus in fact macdonald saw that he had broken through in the open lot which was in full view of a sentinel who was dangerously close appalled by what he had done he retreated to the cellar and reported the disaster to his companions believing that discovery was now certain the party sent one of their number up the rope to report to rose who was asleep the hour was about midnight when the leader learned of the mischief he quickly got up went down cellar entered the tunnel and examined the break it was not so near the sentinel's path as macdonald's excited report indicated and fortunately the breach was at a point whence the surface sloped downward toward the east he took off his blouse and stuffed it into the opening pulling the dirt over it noiselessly and in a few minutes there was little surface evidence of the hole he then backed into the cellar in the usual crab fashion and gave directions for the required depression of the tunnel and vigorous resumption of the work the hole made in the roof of the tunnel was not much larger than a rat hole and could not be seen from the prison but the next night rose shoved an old shoe out of the hole and the day afterward he looked down through the prison bars and saw the shoe lying where he had placed it and judged from its position that he had better incline the direction of the tunnel slightly to the left 
meantime captain johnson was dragging out a wretched existence in rat hell and for safety was obliged to confine himself by day to the dark north end for the confederates often came into the place very suddenly through the south entrance when they ventured too close johnson would get into a pit that he had dug under the straw as a hiding-hole both for himself and the tunneler's tools and quickly cover himself with a huge heap of short packing straw a score of times he came near being stepped upon by the confederates and more than once the dust of the straw compelled him to sneeze in their very presence on saturday february sixth a larger party than usual of the confederates came into the cellar walked by the very mouth of the tunnel and seemed to be making a critical survey of the entire place they remained an unusually long time and conversed in low tones several of them even kicked the loosed straw about and in fact everything seemed to indicate to johnson who was the only one of the working party now in the cellar that the long averted discovery had been made that night he reported matters fully to rose at the fireplace opening the tunnel was now nearly completed and when rose conveyed johnson's message to the party it caused dismay even the stout-hearted hamilton was for once excited and the leader whose unflinching fortitude had thus far inspired his little band had his brave spirits dashed but his buoyant courage rose quickly to its high and natural level he could not longer doubt that the suspicions of the confederates were aroused but he felt convinced that these suspicions had not as yet assumed such a definite shape as most of his companions sought still he had abundant reason to believe that the success of the tunnel absolutely demanded its speedy completion and he now firmly resolved that a desperate effort should be made to that end remembering that the next day was sunday and that it was not customary for the confederates to visit the operating cellar on that day he determined to make the most in his power of the now precious time he therefore caused all the party to remain upstairs directing them to keep a close watch upon the confederates from all available points of observation to avoid being seen in whispering groups in short to avoid all things calculated to excite the curiosity of friends or the suspicion of enemies and to await his return taking macdonald with him he went down through the fireplace before daylight on sunday morning and bidding johnson to keep a vigilant watch for intruders and macdonald to fan air into him he entered the tunnel and began the forlorn hope from this time forward he never once turned over the chisel to a relief all day long he worked with the tireless patience of a beaver when night came even his single helper who performed the double duty of fanning air and hiding the excavated earth was ill from his hard long task and the deadly air of the cellar yet this was as nothing compared with the fatigue of the duty that rose had performed and when at last far into the night he backed into the cellar he had scarcely strength enough to stagger across to the rope ladder he had made more than double the distance that had been accomplished under the system of reliefs on any previous day and the non-appearance of the confederates encouraged the hope that another day without interruption would see the work completed he therefore determined to refresh himself by a night's sleep for the finish 
the drooping spirits of his party were revived by the report of his progress and his unalterable confidence monday morning dawned and the great prison with its twelve hundred captives was again astir the general crowd did not suspect the suppressed excitement and anxiety of the little party that awaited through that interminable day which they felt must determine the fate of their project rose had repeated the instructions of the day before and again descended to rat hell with macdonald for his only helper johnson reported all quiet and macdonald taking up his former duties at the tunnel's mouth rose once more entered with his chisel it was now the seventeenth day since the present tunnel was begun and he resolved it should be the last hour after hour passed and still the busy chisel was plied and still the little wooden box with its freight of earth made its monotonous trips from the digger to his comrade and back again from the early morning of monday february eighth eighteen sixty four until an hour after midnight the next morning his work went on as midnight approached rose was nearly a physical wreck the perspiration dripped from every pore of his exhausted body food he could not have eaten if he had had it his labors thus far had given him a somewhat exaggerated estimate of his physical powers the sensation of fainting was strange to him but his staggering senses warned him that to faint where he was meant at once his death and burial he could scarcely inflate his lungs with the poisonous air of the pit his muscles quivered with increased weakness and the warning spasmodic tremor which their unnatural strain induced his head swam like that of a drowning person by midnight he had struck and passed beyond a post which he felt must be in the yard during the last few minutes he had directed his course upward and to relieve his cramped limbs he turned upon his back his strength was nearly gone the feeble stream of air which his comrade was trying with all his might to send to him from a distance of fifty-three feet could no longer reach him through the deadly stench his senses reeled he had not breath or strength enough to move backward through his narrow grave in the agony of suffocation he dropped the dull chisel and beat his two fists against the roof of his grave with the might of despair when a blessed boon the crust gave way and the loosened earth showered upon his dripping face purple with agony his famished eye caught sight of a radiant star in the blue vault above him a flood of light and a volume of cool delicious air poured over him at that very instant the sentinel's cry rang out like a prophecy half past one and all's well End of section 11